When was the last time football left you so absolutely bloody knackered, Rich, without actually watching any football? It was weird, wasn't it? Um, I'd say, and I, I read this from somewhere else, but it, it did does kind of rhyme with me, is that the kind of 24 hours, perhaps 48 hours after this whole thing broke before it collapsed was almost like a death in the family or maybe an illness in the family you know feeling that something's changed for the worse forever you know I, I think we've talked about we talked before about what would happen say if the Saudis bought United and I I thought quite a lot about that in the past and I'm not sure whether I could keep going if that was the case but I think this is the first time that I've actually thought you know what I don't know if I want to be associated with this club anymore in the form that it was take it would take before we get on to that a quick hello hello welcome to this week's red well second red voices of this week thanks for stopping by you've got me you and lennox and him rich can to discuss a momentous week in football and we're not even finished yet it's only thursday and there's still plenty more that could potentially happen but for the time being we're going to be looking at the fallout from the creation and demise of the european super league and has seemingly found its way down the tracks in barely 48 hours we're going to be looking into the how, the why, the what happened, the what happens next and the impact on United and the wider footballing world considering that the bits of news have not been stopping over the last four days. But before we get to all that, Rich, how are you? Other than feeling like it's been a death in the family. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not bad. I'm, the um, kind of the euphoria of the of the whole collapse has um, just about worn off now. And I'm, we, I think this is probably <laughs> the first time either of us have actually thought about this in any any great depth and about all of the issues involved. Um, so it should be quite interesting. Wasn't Tuesday night amazing? We're jump- yeah, jumping ahead a little bit, but Tuesday night was immense. You had Chelsea falling off the wagon, then you had City, then you had Ed Woodward resigning, and they were trying to figure out if he was going immediately, whether or not he had actually he was going to be sticking around to the end of the year. And they just kept falling like dominoes. It was amazing. Um, yeah. But... Yes, I guess I'm going to drag us back to uh, Sunday afternoon to begin with, because I think it's important to sort of establish a timeline of events, because I feel like in particular with the way that this whole sordid affair played out, it's quite important to sort of go back to what kicked this whole thing off. And the initial catalyst for all of this was, we're going to talk about the how, Sunday afternoon at 1pm, Martin Ziegler, Times writer, Post a story uh, via an anonymous source saying that there is a plan for the European Super League. He mentions five English clubs, and that is what kicks this whole thing off. It's not some sort of plan, I think, based on that information that the 12 teams wanted this information getting out there. Because everything that we saw in the coming days was very slopshot, wasn't it? It was very rushed. It felt very ill thought out. And remarkable considering the importance of what they were discussing it just seemed like this had been written on the back of a napkin and then suddenly given a nice sort of purpley font and then stuck on a website with 12 teams putting their names to it and then suddenly we're dealing by the time we get through to Sunday evening not long a couple hours after we'd spoken in the aftermath of our victory over oh did we play on Sunday this is incredible I've forgotten who we played five days ago (laughs) Burnley. Four days ago, yeah, we played Burnley on Sunday afternoon. I remember that now. Obviously, after we'd recorded, things took an incredible turn, didn't they? You know, we were dealing with the official statement, and I think to me that was the point where this all became very real. Once you saw United not even having the guts to tweet it out, putting a statement on their website with Perez's name on it, with Joel Glazer's name on it, saying that he was going to be a co-chairman. Um, that's when everything became scarily real for me. What about you? Yeah, I think you're right that they were they were taken by surprise. 
it seems like the documentation had already been signed. So in their minds, this was a fait accompli, but clearly the, the timing wasn't what they wanted it to be. Having said that, even when this has come out from Martin Ziegler, the sensible thing to do would have been just to not respond to it for a couple of days. I know that would have made people mad, but then at least you could have properly prepared your pitch for it. Whereas what, what we actually got was some really hastily chucked together statements, a Twitter account with a really naff logo. Um, and I've heard quite a few journalists say that essentially the press release for it was just just a basic Word document in Helvetica or something <laughs> without any you know any any decent branding or any you know any any real media with it or anything it was just a bit of paper that someone had clearly typed up on a on a on a machine and and I've thought about this and you, on the face of it you think how can the presidents and the CEOs of these enormous clubs be so inept at what they did but then you think who those people are they are mostly essentially totally mad or utterly inept <laughs> So, you know, yeah, I mean, this is something that we spoke about a little bit on Sunday, wasn't it, Rich? I was convinced at first and I was telling other people, I think I said to you, this feels like a power play when it because I I honestly didn't think that they would be stupid enough to go through with this in the current form that they were practicing and the fact that they were pushing this through at such a time and trying to make it enforceable in time for the 2021 season. Wow, it's stunning how inept this whole thing has been. You know, I'm looking at the statement now and the format of the league, you know, and I've mentioned this on a Twitter thread earlier in the week. The setup is incredible, isn't it? The fact that they had to launch this hastily as they did with 12 clubs, founding clubs, uh, three three more coming on board, which we knew weren't going to be Bruce Dortmund, Bayern Munich or PSG for varying different reasons. They still needed three clubs to come on board in order to make that part of the thing worthwhile. And then the idea of bringing in five clubs who were essentially at the minute, given the reaction, were having to torpedo their involvement in their domestic competitions in order to be involved in this for an incredibly tiny, tiny chunk of the pie that the other teams were going to be darning out on. And even if they won it, they would still potentially be earning less than the teams who just compete in it and get through to the group stages every year. Either your Arsenal's or your Spurs. It's incredible. I mean, I guess, again, I'm saying ill thought out. It was such a cynical project and plan and format from the off, wasn't it? You know, it was based wholly on the idea of getting more money to the teams just for the sake of having more money, right? Yeah, I mean, I can I can see the logic in it from the perspective of Real Madrid or Barcelona, for example, because both of those those teams have been involved in an arms race for the last 20 years in which they've consistently and repeatedly just tried to outspend the other to the degree that Barcelona more so, but Real Madrid, they've literally put their, their existence in jeopardy. And COVID has really tipped that over the edge. You know, if you're Barcelona, I, I genuinely think there's a real danger of ultimately at some point in the near future, that club just almost ceasing to exist well it's worth pointing out they're in one billion euros worth of debt at the minute and Real Madrid aren't necessarily that much better off no and I think they've got to the point where they know that they can't continue to spend anymore the teams or to that degree the teams both teams even though Real have rallied a bit both teams are considerably below the standard they were at even three or four years ago we're in a situation where I don't think this is the strongest Premier League season ever but Premier League teams are considerably stronger than I think any of the um, other leagues. And that's not 
a great reflection on the Premier League. It's a terrible indictment of those other leagues um, and, the, and the quality at the top of them. Juventus have chucked it all on Cristiano Ronaldo at the expense of everything else and, and spent whatever money they had left really badly. And they're you know, in real danger of missing out on the Champions League next year. You've got a club like Inter who are their, their Chinese owners have been told to stop investing and they want to sell. So the, the money's dried up and they're, they're looking at having to sell players. And AC Milan, who, although they've revived a little, are still relative financial lightweights compared to Rails and Barca's and United and Bayern's now. So from the perspective of those clubs, it makes sense for them to try and do something which greatly in, in, in increases their incomes because otherwise getting back to the, the very top of European football is going to be very, very difficult for them. It mm. makes less sense for the English clubs because, generally speaking, they are all on a better financial footing. I think in terms of the English clubs, what you're just looking at is pure greed with the exception of, I think, Chelsea and City. And I think for them, it, it was more about being visible at the top table of European football because you know mm. city's whole thing is about visibility and about sports washing their <clears throat> their ownership isn't it or the, the, yeah the, the they couldn't be ownership. seen to be left behind could they no and abramovich you know <clears throat> abramovich bought chelsea to to be competing with the best clubs in the world and essentially if they don't go into this he's going to be stuck in um in a league with a potentially losing an incredible amount of income and i think this is the point that led to their arrogance i think that even though it was the story came out at the weekend, rather than wait, I think they thought if they got in really quickly, the teams like PSG, like Bayern, like Borussia Dortmund and whoever else would be pressured into joining. I think they mm. thought if all these clubs are breaking away, the Champions League is going to be worth a tenth of what it is to us whenever this starts. We just can't be allowed to, we can't allow ourselves to, to, to lose that level of income. And so they'll join. What you actually got was the exact opposite. And I think this, <laughs> all, this all comes back to the, to the arrogance of all of the owners and those in charge of the, the, the clubs that, that signed up to this. Well, not Ed Woodward, Rich, though, because as we've heard today, he resigned in protest because he didn't want to be a part of it anymore. Did he f- um, anyway. <laughs> right, I mean, that, that that sort of brings us in nicely to the why of it. So if we're going to specifically talk about our involvement as a club, I guess one of the big things is that we were talking about Champions League qualification. Now, for United's perspective, you've got a better understanding of our business model in terms of how reliant we are on European football. One of the big aspects of that is that we rely quite heavily on European qualification into the Champions League each year, right? We have qualified via league position for the Champions League three times in the seven four seasons that we've had, if I, if memory serves, since Alex Ferguson retired. That's obviously not fantastic. That means there's a big hit to our finances and the potential pot of money that we have to play with on a yearly basis. And obviously because the Glazers are not investors, they are leeches, that means that we potentially have even more to worry about in terms of trying to get United back up to a potentially even keel and competing. Mm. Obviously with the Glazers, competing has never really been their forte since Ferguson retired. Otherwise we wouldn't be where we are, which is you know still struggling to get back up to the top level. Mm. Now, beyond that, I guess it was about giving us, because there was such talk about such big investment and so much money coming into to all 12 clubs, potentially, who had initially signed up, they get this 
basically the signing on fee and then a share in the profits and the TV deal that obviously, you know, the, the potential TV deal that they were expecting was going to be, you know, unprecedented in terms of its scale. You know, the amount of money that was coming in basically meant that United wouldn't ever have to worry about Champions League qualification again. The worry for me coming into that was that that basically just removed any impetus from the Glazers to really make United a top level side again because they knew whatever would happen going forward we were always going to qualify for the Super League because we were part of it we couldn't be kicked out of it there was no relegation Mm. any sort of jeopardy that came with qualifying for European football was immediately dashed which was incredibly scary as a thought and in terms of you know the real elements of progress that we see under Solskjaer you just felt that was all going to come to a stop yeah part of the reason why this has happened now is because of fear because I think we've reached a point where the TV deals aren't going to increase significantly anymore. And I think there's a very, very good chance the next time they're they're renegotiated, the amount that the clubs are taking in will fall. Those clubs had almost reached critical mass, really, in terms of in terms of turnover and how much they could squeeze out of the business in, in its current form. United have probably maxed out the, the type of commercial activity, the degree of the commercial activity, the types of deals we can do and what, what we can make from it. So they have to look somewhere else because otherwise the, brand, the, the, the business can't grow anymore. This has been a moment of opportunity. They've also got the advantage, all of the clubs got the advantage of there being no, no fans in the stadium. If they'd mm. announced this whenever they decided to in two weeks' time or whatever they, they were going to do, if that happened when there were supporters in the stadium, they'd have been absolutely eviscerated. At certainly mm. all of the English clubs, I can't I can't speak for the for the other ones. So this this was actually quite an opportune moment for them to do something while they couldn't really be criticised for it, or they perceived they couldn't be criticised for it. Oh, yeah, can you imagine the heat they would have copped for this if they would have pushed this out in the middle of May, for instance, when fans are starting to come back, or potentially during the summer, you know, potentially at the start of the coming season, they would have been absolutely ruined for trying to push this out at that stage because fans coming back into the stadiums would just not have accepted it. And we saw with the protests outside Stamford Bridge earlier on on Tuesday, which is when things started to crumble, that immediately this was it provoked such an incredible reaction didn't it you know it was so interesting seeing the discussions from Florentino Perez who at the minute it's incredible to to suggest it's still going on about what a viable plan this is and refusing to turn face you know he was talking about and Andre Agnelli over at Juventus as well who is potentially in if not already losing his job at Juve Talking about Generation Z in terms of the 16 to 24-year-olds and the fact that only 60% of them are into football. Talking about shorter attention spans or being fans particular players slash managers or whatever. And talking about how they're trying to almost make football and increase its appeal. And there's less importance on the quote-unquote legacy fans, which are the season ticket holder or regular match goer, anything on those lines. The language that's been spoken about is such an incredible disconnect from what football actually is these days. And obviously the the difference in terms of how we interact as fans has changed over the last sort of 10, 15 years because there is more of an online community around clubs than there has ever been. And this is, you know, every year the way in which we consume football changes a little bit, obviously, because as fans we have different subscriptions, we have different ways of talking to each other and watching the games together. It is constantly shifting. The lack of understanding of how to take that difference and the evolution of what's happening in terms of how we devour football and a willingness to kind of improve upon it as opposed to just taking a cynical project and making it work for them was one of the worst aspects of it and a complete understanding of 
football fans and football culture considering that these people are in such lofty positions i mean it shouldn't surprise me but in some ways it did shock me so moving on to the what happened uh the reactions were pretty much what universal condemnation pretty much i mean patrick bamford's uh interview after the liverpool draw on monday i think it was was particularly prescient talking about how look at the outrage that's that this is encouraged given you know how not necessarily muted but how difficult it's been to get you know, a, a unified front on the fight against racism. You saw Marcus Rashford posting the football without fans is nothing quote from Samat Busby. Hearing about Rouse and Carrington between Harry Maguire and Ed Woodward and Bruno Fernandes and Luke Shaw being incredibly vocal in terms of their opposition to this. And then on Tuesday night, Rich, it all just started falling apart bit by bit. Yeah, I mean, I think there's two points. Two points I'd like to make about what they misjudged, what they didn't, what they didn't anticipate. I think the first one is there are actually kernels of truth in that, what Anneli said. The reality is if this if this had happened, then they may have lost a lot of traditional fans. But kids, I don't think they'd, lose, they'd have lost kids. I don't think they'd have lost a lot of international fans. I think a lot of those people who don't have any real emotional attach, attachment to the traditions of European football would mind too much. And I think they probably, in a pure business sense, could have made it work. It would have worked, and but there are a lot of parallels to what I I think I've spoken to you before about how I was sort of kind of involved in the, the football index um, collapse, and there's a very similar um, there was a quite a, very, a quite a similar um, kind of sequence of events there in that it became quite clear perhaps six or seven months before they actually went bust, that the existing financial model wasn't working. And so they kept making changes to the product and it was pretty clear from the changes they were making, they were trying to enforce a kind of hard reset of the of the business and the business model. And part of that was the cynical acceptance that they would have to burn through many, if not all, of the existing or legacy fans. Um, or legacy users to to get to that point you're essentially creating another another model that those people don't want so you to a degree you burn it all to the ground and and so you can start again what they didn't anticipate and i think this has damaged them so much is that i was uh listening to a podcast earlier and i think there's a suggestion that the first articles about the potential of being, there being a super league were in 1988 Oof. certainly the big clubs in the premier league have been using that threat to get their own way on an awful lot of things both in terms of the Premier League and domestically and and in Europe with with UEFA as well and that's all been predicated on on the idea that the clubs had the power in fairness it does appear that UEFA bought that UEFA UEFA did give into that and to quite a significant degree what they've discovered is that the power in football doesn't exist with the clubs it doesn't exist with with the money per se it exists with the people who make football what it is or make football work mm. which is which is the football fans the players the coaches you know don't don't think for a minute that sky or amazon or whoever you're you're talking about made this altruistic decision to condemn 
the Super League or or refused to engage in talks about TV packages or whatever. They did that because fans don't want it. No, 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 no. no. That, that's a really important point that we need to make. Now, you're talking about Sky, Amazon, BT Sport all coming out. Now, obviously, these are people that are employed by those companies and were giving their thoughts freely. So we saw the likes of Jamie Carragher, Gary Neville, Rio Ferdinand, etc., saying that they were against this. And you would expect them to say that because they still represent companies that have sliced up the footballing pie and now give us a situation where if you're not a match-going fan or if you don't live close to the club that you support, in the UK, you're looking at spending upwards of £80 potentially a month in order to cover your bases to watch your club consistently. It's a model that is not based on fans. You're also talking about a situation when you're looking at the Premier League and the FA where they've been happy to allow ticket prices for visiting fans or away fans or uh, away games potentially. Talk about United. Like years ago, 2008, Manchester United fans having to travel down to Portsmouth on a Monday night for a game because of television. This has been weighted away from fans for a long, long time. And it's only now, because this affects them, that there has been this sort of uproar and this focus on it. And I think that's really worth remembering. Despite the fact that this outcome is good, that the Super League looks like it's dying, or is at least dead, let's not forget what actually got us at least part of the way to this position. I don't think we as fans understood the power we had either. You know, I know we've protested, not just United fans, but fans as a group protested various things in the past. And maybe maybe COVID has actually made made fans think a bit because you saw, for example, Liverpool able to get their club to back down on furloughing employees, for example. Arsenal kind of being shamed by their fan base for the redundancies and for whatever the dinosaur was, kind of being shamed for the for sacking the dinosaur. And um... are you talking about Gunnosaurus? Hold on, Gunnosaurus. That's the man. That's the one. It's always been an the best mascot where... in the f***ing business. I'll have you know. <laughs> so I think it's given given fans a glimpse that they can they can actually change things and they have actually got a voice. Maybe that's kind of prepped us for what has happened now. Given the various groups, the confidence to um, actually stand up and and say no, this is the this is the line. Mm. It annoys me a little bit that Gary Neville suddenly discovered that the Glazers are terrible people. Or terrible owners having failed to to note, note that in the past. Well, I mean, at least he came around. You know, it's been a long time coming, but at least he had the guts to say, "Yeah, I got it wrong. We want them out." And I appreciate. Well, has he said that? Yeah, has he said yeah. he got it wrong on has Monday he just, night at football? He, he said, said, "Yeah, I got it wrong." Right. Okay. Fair enough. Didn't say that. If that's the case, then that's that's fine. You know, you put your hands up and you say, "Yep, yeah, fair enough." So, and I, I just, I, I think. I think there've just been a lot of people who perhaps wouldn't necessarily have used their voice in the way they did. And you've got to remember that United have Marcus Rashford who is essentially more powerful than the prime minister. <laughs> and you know, once he tweeted about it, it was done. But also I think we we I joke about that a bit, but we've also seen that Rashford kind of has opened up opened up corridors between footballers and the government. Mm. Those corridors have become open. You know, how did the footballers manage to get to speak to Boris Johnson within about 24 hours of this happening? And I think I think there's something in that almost uh, perhaps from the government as well, almost an acceptance that these that these these people, these people within football are actually incredibly powerful tools with regards to public opinion. And and that, that has dragged that dragged the government to the table. And once you've got the government, once you've got prince william laying in oh, gosh. Um, i mean the government thing is an interesting point as well rich in the sense that i think that this severely undermined brexit to a certain extent didn't it the premier league is a huge export 
And, you know, without wanting to be too hyperbolic, it's one of the biggest success stories that Britain has had since World War II in terms of its global reach and its influence. It's remarkable. And the fact that you had yeah. six English clubs, the biggest of the, the big six, essentially, trying to leave and form a special competition with Europe's leading lights, to a degree, of course, obviously Inter Milan and AC Milan were in there. It was severe undermining in terms of Brexit and whatever Johnson and the Tories were hoping to uh, achieve. But I, get, I, I certainly get your point in terms of the way that government got involved. And obviously their reaction and their willingness to get involved has obviously got a bigger part to play in what happens next. But I think they played a big part in terms of the the, the uproar when the government are getting involved and potentially talking about rules to try and stop this going forward. And there's an interesting line from Martin Ziegler again that's just come out in the last couple of minutes that we need to touch on before we're done here. It makes it incredibly difficult to see how everything comes out and it comes to fruition. And I think that really changed the landscape. And then, you know, we're going back to what we were talking about in terms of Stamford Bridge when we saw those protests. You see City fall, you see Chelsea fall, you see Ed Woodward potentially leaving. Uh, I mean, again, one quick question for you. Do you genuinely think Ed Woodward was going to leave at the end of the year before this whole thing fell apart? Strangely enough, I do, only because... The only the only reason I, I would say that is because I have sort of heard it a couple of places before, but but not really taken it on board. And also in the the, the latest United We Stand podcast, or was it was it Talk of the Devils? We one or the other, but I think both Andy Mitten and Laurie Woodall said that, that that there had been this plan, and that Woodward's actually bought a vineyard in Portugal and wants to wants to kind of spend a lot of time over there and actually build up a, a wine business. So that doesn't surprise me because he's he's, he's monumentally rich what i cannot accept is that this well first of all after it happened we we were told via the the woodward bat phone i think that um this was nothing to do with the super league or perhaps that came from neil ashton i don't know and then <clears throat> then then two days later we're hearing we're hearing from certain sources and also gary Lineker, who who's good mates with edward ward that this was some sort of principled step down well the, the two things that undermine that are one the fact that he doesn't appear to be leaving from a few months at the very least. You know, if, if it's a principled stand, you resign and walk away. You don't resign and keep taking your money for the next few months. And the other is that you don't make the principled stand after it's all gone to shit. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like Roxanne, it's like Roxanne Pallet doing the interview after Big Brother and saying, I don't know if you, if you, if you sort of saw or heard all that mess and saying, I'm really, really sorry for what I did after she'd been, caught and shamed you know of course i mean you can't talk about integrity you can't talk about trying to you know not ed woodward being unsupportive of the super league that whole concept would have an incredible it would have so much more weight if he'd left on monday and not on tuesday night after city had been talking about leaving and chelsea had been talking about leaving and the whole house of cards was falling apart you can't play that card once the horse has already bolted. And United were clearly hours away, or sorry, minutes away from leaving themselves. It's rubbish. I, I can't conceivably buy a world in which that happens. And he's been he's been negotiating this. He's been the chief negotiator for this for however long, probably a few years. Well, he'll tell you otherwise, or, you know, he'll try and get out of saying <laughs> well, he otherwise. Well, will, but, I mean, absolute horseshit. Absolute horseshit, I'm sorry. But we've seen from the moment he walked in the door that terrible, terrible, transparent bullshit PR about everything about transfers, about absolutely everything. So all I can say is he's going out in exactly the same way that he came in and and has ruled in inverted <laughs> commas throughout his tenure, talking absolute shit and trying to trying to polish a, a very a quite obvious turd. 
Um, oh, bless him. So no, 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 no. I, I get that. I mean, ulti- the other thing is, you know, the guy, the guy's a multi, multi. You know, he's a multi-millionaire. He doesn't need the money. If this was a principal, he's got five million in stocks in United. He's been earning four million a year. He's just bought a bloody vineyard in Portugal. The guy doesn't need money to feed his family. If he, if it was a principal, you you just resign and walk away. You don't resign and say, yeah, I'm resigning, but I'll probably be around for another six to nine months. Well, especially given the statement that was put out, which was very flowery and starting to talk about the success that he had helped to bring to the club in terms of those three trophies. And then Joel Glazer's statement at the end of it, thanking him for all his worth and saying he'd be welcome back at Old Trafford and part of the Manchester United family. Um, I I mean, I'm I'm just going to leave that because it'll just make me too annoyed. I mean... It's a good thing that Edward Wood has gone because it allows the potential possibility that someone will take his job who is actually more capable than him. And on that note, just before we delve into further critique of our dear old Edward Wood, let's take a quick break. We have a small favour to ask, friends. If you're enjoying the show, please help spread the word. Leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Acast, or any podcast app you use. It's a small thing that helps shows like ours to move up podcast rankings and generate more listeners, and it would be hugely appreciated. Now, I, I guess the worry that I have is that obviously with the Glazers in charge, and we'll come to that in a little while as well, it's difficult to en- envisage a situation where Ed Woodward leaves and United suddenly turn into a more capable, a better run club, essentially, isn't it? It's difficult to see that changing yeah. overnight or necessarily in the short to medium term. So, you know, I, I, it, it's like chopping the head off a hydra and then suddenly another one just immediately grows back you know in the short term i'm happy in the medium to long term i'm not sure how much difference it's going to make unless there's real change at the club is that kind of, is that kind of mirrored with you i'm fully expecting one of his in situ university friends to be the next appointment if i had to guess mm. i would guess it's perhaps richard arnold yeah well that's what the athletic was saying earlier on which would make sense from a sort of secession point of view really wouldn't it yeah and i've obviously never met him i've never really heard him speak much about anything um so i can't talk about what kind of capabilities he has I mean clearly like Edward but he's very very good at the marketing um, and the commercial side of the business from what I've heard in the last couple of days he does seem to be or the perception has the perception of being a bit of a more canny operator than than Woodward is he doesn't <laughs> talk, he doesn't he doesn't well I mean he wouldn't be hard I guess would it but no, you know what I mean no. he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't talk much he's not really a he you know publicly I don't think he'd be over overwhelmed by the sort of glamour of it and the 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 need to be seen everywhere and and, and kind of glowing in the privilege of the job um, which I think I think really happened a lot with Woodward I think he developed a liking for his own voice and his own opinions and his own achievements in very big inverted commas you know it, it, perhaps if it is rich done things might be a little bit different but it's it's really hard to say isn't it yeah, you know sure um, I, don't, I don't think it's healthy I don't think it was is healthy it was ever healthy having having a guy picking some of his friends to do big jobs at, at United I don't I don't think that should ever be a the way that a, a business of that size operates well I mean hey bonus at this point you can fly back from Australia and get that urgent transfer business done he can, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he's not maybe, busy. <laughs> maybe he'll eventually, eventually turn up. 
Oh, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, going back to sort of the, the timeline of events, Tuesday night was the one. I think it was late in the evening when United officially put their statement out and had the guts to actually tweet it out because they knew full well. I mean, I don't know if you were keeping an eye on United socials in the hours uh, after sort of Sunday afternoon. Every single post on Instagram, every tweet was ratioed to hell. The amount of comments on there, mm. you, I mean, I, I've got screenshots of say no to the Super League, leave the Super League, this is ridiculous, this is not what fans want. From fans all over the world, it wasn't just local ones. It's very important to notice that this is something that football as a whole, as a quote-unquote community, rejected. It wasn't just about local fans, it was everyone who rejected this notion. Which, and obviously not every single fan in the whole world didn't want this. Obviously there were some people who did, but they were a minority. And then obviously it comes to fruition that all six of the Premier League clubs have gone... You know, we, we'll talk about potential punishments for them in a minute and what this means for United going forward. But then obviously the Glazer aspect of this comes into play and the fact that Joel Glazer saw fit, given the level of statements put out by clubs in the sort of the aftermath of this. I mean, number one, it was very clear that I don't want to give them the benefit of the doubt to say that they got this wrong. They just didn't get it. They don't get it at all. You know, it's not like they misjudged no. fan culture or what fans want or what fans expect from their football team. They didn't care. It wouldn't have taken much to understand. All you needed to do is speak to a fan group to run these plans by, you know, confidentially. And they would have said, no, we wholeheartedly reject this. I mean, regardless, you know, I'm not going to give this idea that they misjudged the, the, the tea leaves. I think that, that misread the tea leaves because I think it's absolute rubbish and it gives them far too much credence. But what a moment. I mean, Joel Glazer putting a, a statement out, obviously not even having the guts to do a video like John Henry, who was obviously pretty saccharine himself and very apologetic. And it wasn't, again, very transparent, but at least he had the guts to fess up to a camera. What a moment to see him actually trying to interact with us for the second time in 16 years since the takeover remarkable that it he felt the need to do so as a pr rebuilding exercise yeah i imagine i i think that the penny has probably dropped that all of the the bargaining power they've had in recent years and have used in recent years to get what they wanted has gone it's they're not they're not back to the status quo they're they're back to a position where they are almost completely neutered from the perspective of the other 14 Premier League clubs, they will have spent the last 24 hours or so just pissing their sides. There's no situation now, particularly as after what happened also with with the idea of Project Big, Big Picture, there's no scenario now where those six chief execs or whatever can, can walk into a meeting and wield any power whatsoever. Well, interestingly, Martin Ziegler has just been uh, putting another article in The Times saying that the Premier League is set to change its rules to ensure that no member club will ever be able to join a breakaway European league again without facing instant expulsion. Well, that's 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 great. And I think on that point, I should say that I do think that the reactions of the Premier League and UEFA were very important. You know, the Premier League essentially said if you do this you'll be expelled and UEFA essentially said we're going to look into throwing these players out throwing these clubs out of Europe this season and we're going to try and stop their players playing for interna- international in international teams mm. that was an important they were they were really important I, I don't suspect from a legal perspective it would have been possible to do a f- certainly some of those things but the threat of them was almost certainly enough to mobilise the players and mobilise the coaches as well. And 
And I think it was really, really important when, when guys like Klopp and when Guardiola and the various Premier League captains and Premier League players came out because it, it basically just completely neutered the clubs. Um, I, I mean, I'd said beforehand, what would be the quickest way to get out of this? And my feeling was the quickest and best way to get out of this would be for the players and coaches simply to say, if you're going to enter a Super League, we won't be playing in it. Ultimately, what could the clubs do? They can't sack their players, their assets, or they, they could sack their coaches. But could you imagine what the fan base would do if Klopp and Guardiola particularly, but even Oli or whoever were sacked? You know, they'd go absolutely mad. They'd never, never, ever get get the fan base on back on side at all. They'd uni- unify them all forever. Once that had all happened and those people those people had risen up, that, that they were done. The whole thing was completely done and... and you know, in terms of negotiating with UEFA, UEFA have been making these these changes, these new changes to the Champions League. And all these recent reforms have been because of pressure from the big clubs to change the distribution model for the the TV rights and things to to have more games so they can make more money. And they've just acceded to all this. They've given them two you know, two places in the Champions League supposedly for teams who didn't qualify, who have historic. Um, significance um, and these all these things all happen because of the power of those those big clubs that's gone mm-hmm. that's gone for all of them and UEFA could now turn around and say we're not willing to concede to these things anymore we can do what we like and you can't they, they can't do and the, the most amusing thing is that the guys the guys that had power at UEFA like Woodward and Agnelli they all resigned their positions as well so they haven't even got they haven't even got the positions of influence they had at UEFA anymore anyway. They can't walk into a Premier League meeting and, and hold their head high and, and, and show any any kind of front at all because everyone, the rest of them will just laugh at them. Mm. They're done for a decade, two decades, in terms of trying to, to, to force any significant change that's of any great financial benefit to mm. them. So in a broader sense, Rich, uh, as we start wrapping up now, We've seen today that there have been protesters at Carrington with flags talking about the 51 plus months, sorry, 50 plus one model in terms of hoping fan ownership. Now, there was an interesting point I saw about this in the sense that one of the reasons that's been such a big uh, boon over in Germany is because that follows a more sort of socialist model, which is quite interesting when you consider where we've been as a country over the last 10 years. So I'm not necessarily sure I can see those sort of changes coming in for uh, ownership anytime soon. I think that's very difficult to enforce. But in terms of the Glazers' ownership overall, how much impact do you think this has had on their ongoing willingness to be stewards of Manchester United? My feeling is that they'll be looking at it now. They'll be looking at whether they can, in any other way, increase income streams. Can they increase match day income? No, because they're not willing to spend the money on the stadium that would be required to do that. Can they increase commercial revenue? It's possible in a, in a minor way, but you know, particularly given the state of the economy, the world economy that's going to be for the next, I don't know few years probably not is the the money they get from tv with the super league now out going to increase and the reality is it's not from their perspective the the club is never likely to be it or certainly in the next probably decade the club is never likely to be worth considerably more than it is now yeah we've peaked we have peaked and and bearing in mind the next two probably the next couple of years worth of turnover and profits will be considerably reduced to the point where you know there's no way the club can't make significant losses in the next couple of years what incentive is them for for them to hold it anymore you know they can take out their 25 million a year or whatever they take to 
split between the six of them in the dividends but is it worth them holding on to this asset which probably isn't going to grow anymore but which we could reduce in value for the sake of 25 million divided by six every year i can't see it i can't see how how it would be so it wouldn't surprise me if they were looking at avenues to sell it the the, the the, the problem with that obviously being who's got three to four billion quid to throw at a football club that's probably peaked in terms of turnover in the short to medium term. So I've absolutely no doubt they'll give thought to the idea of selling, mm. but actually selling may be more of a hurdle than their willingness to do so. Yeah, and I guess then that sort of takes us on to potential ramifications of what United have done. Now, if it t- if, if that Times article that we mentioned actually comes into force, then it sounds like any further appropriate attempts to actually push through any breakaway league will mean United get expelled from the from domestic competition. And that will obviously go down like a lead balloon. Uh, I mean, you knew that already. We didn't need these, this week's process to tell us that. It does sound like, based on what we've heard at least, there is less of an appetite to punish the clubs and the players and more of an appetite to punish the owners and the chief executives that are responsible for this. Now, that's obviously great for us if it ends up in the case that United do get punished. And obviously, I'd be gutted for the team and the players, given that they pushed so hard in Europe to try and get to a Europa League final and to push into second, given the circumstances of playing football this season. I'd be very disappointed. But then again, I'm sure the fans of Wigan Athletic are incredibly disappointed that they were docked points for going into administration when their owner took over and said they were bankrupt. So unfortunately, this is sometimes just how things play out. You know, if, if... if we get punished, obviously it's not our fault. It's the fault of the people that should have been looking after us and making decisions in our best interests who are clearly doing it for themselves. Whether or not this is now enough of an example for the Premier League and the FA to start properly vetting owners and figuring out how takeovers should be done. Because we've been talking about this on and off for 16 years in terms of how takeovers should be done, in terms of we should be vetting the people who take over as institutions. They allowed a process to go by where the Glazers were allowed to force Manchester United to buy itself and saddled us with the debt. So if they don't take this as an example of how bad things can get when you allow people like that to make those sort of decisions and get away with it, then if this isn't a watershed moment, then God knows what on earth they're going to be doing with themselves over the next couple of years. Anyway, uh, talking about questions from the rest of you, thank you very much for sending everything in. We'll start off with David. Does the Super League fiasco affect relationships with clubs we might rely on for transfers this summer? For example, Dortmund and West Ham. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> That's right. it. I don't think there's anything else you can say. I think that every other every other football club and every other CEO in, in, in the world will think that we're massive dickheads and quite how Edward Ward, for example, could, have, could give any authority or, or present any kind of sort of stubborn negotiating face is, is absolutely laughable. Yeah, well, you imagine you might actually need to get kicked out of the club for us to be able to answer, do any transfer business at all, surely, because no one's going to want to talk to him right now. No, and I, I just think I think clubs will, will... I mean, there'll be a balance because obviously clubs are needing money at the moment. So, But I, I do think they'll try and... negotiations will be more difficult than they would have been otherwise Mm. Steve 2.0 at Across the Keeper asks who would the boys like to see replace the soon to be departed executive vice chairman Ed Woodward Edwin isn't daft enough to leave Ajax by the way I mean Edwin van der Sar would be pretty great considering the good work that he has actually done at Ajax but I think he might be aiming a little bit higher i.e. a board and a setup that is actually competent yeah, and I, I don't think, really think it's a, a question that's worth having because I, I, w- I would imagine, you know, we've we've lost one Glazer man. All we can hope for is another Glazer man that's got more competence. So I don't think I don't think it's worth really thinking about any great depth because whatever we want won't happen. No, exactly. Tariq Amir, uh, how much damage has been done to the Super League brand? I mean, it, it how does it come back from this? It is tainted beyond belief given the amount of 
blowback and the vitriol that was spewed at it. I mean, if you're a sponsor, you're not going to touch it with a barge pole, surely? Well, that's what happened, wasn't it? Mm. That's what happened anyway. I think several sponsors pulled out, didn't they, of the various clubs. Yeah, it's toxic and nobody nobody that's got any money invested in football is going to want to go near it yeah. ever, well for, for a very very long time Daz Greer with a fan-led government review into football set to go ahead do you think that anything useful will come out of it especially regarding the idea of a 50 plus one ownership no government reviews are very long and very often don't produce anything and, and I suspect from a legal perspective 50 plus one would be very 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 difficult to do because if, even if you pass the legislation and you say 51 percent of the club's ownership has got to pass to fans how do Manchester United fans scrabble together two billion pounds? We don't. <laughs> you know, you can't. You can't take an asset. A free market government isn't going to take fifty-one percent of an asset off a a commercial business or individuals. Mm. It's going to have. It would have to be bought, and I don't believe they do it anyway. Yeah. Um, so that's not going to happen. I'm afraid. Yeah, Andy McCoy. What now, Fred Woodward? Will we see him again in football? Do you think Richard Arnold will replace him? He's going to his vineyard. Mm. You have been told he's 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 bought this vineyard in Portugal and apparently loves the wine and that's going to be his focus from now on. Yeah. Um, Richard Arnold. I, if I had to say one name that I thought was probably most likely, it's Richard Arnold, but it's total punt, really. Yeah. Alex Wormall with the last of the night. What kind of punishment, if any, do you think is appropriate for the six Premier League clubs? Points deductions and UEFA ban slash transfer ban. Uh, it feels like a rare opportunity for slap these idiots down now. It, it it's kind of difficult to say from our perspective because obviously I don't necessarily want to see United season torpedoed, but in some ways, would you say that as a proportionate response? We couldn't complain, but I don't think it will happen for for quite a few reasons. I think I think that they the Premier League and UEFA are very very happy that they've basically castrate the clubs have castrated themselves, and so I, I don't think punitive measures will be used or would really be that desirable for them. Mm. An amazing topic, an amazing subject. Mm. So many bits and pieces coming into it from a United perspective and from a global football perspective. You know, I don't think we, we we've we've seen off. I think collectively the football community a problem that was building and presented itself over the last week with collective impact. And I really hope that we can sort of harness that power going forward and potentially make changes to the game, like potentially the Champions League reforms, which are obviously complete rubbish, and maybe reforms to UEFA and FIFA in general, who have, you know, if we're talking about problems going forward, just released yesterday, PSG chairman Nasser Al-Khalifi, now leading the ECA, you know, this is all... Don't forget, PSG is a sports-watching project for for Qatar. And Qatar have got the World Cup in 2022. And how much have we actually been speaking about human rights abuses in the lead-up to that World Cup? Not nearly enough. There are still huge problems in football. And you can't, I'm really hoping that we take the this onus and this drive onwards and actually start to make real changes, not just on United's level in terms of getting in different owners, but potentially on a bigger level. I mean... Any last things to say before we dust off for the evening? I think I'd just say that it, in this, perhaps in the modern era, clubs have never been as weak, or the big clubs have never been as weak as they are today. And fans and players and coaches within the game have never been as powerful. Mm. We have a considerably better chance of forcing change this week than we did last week. And that's and I think you're right, people have just got to keep putting the foot down now and actually trying to drive through those changes that that everybody wants even if we're not going to get everything we want we're not going to get 50 plus one or whatever but but there is a real opportunity for reform now and perhaps change in, in ownership 
Oh, Rich, what a goddamn pleasure despite the topic of conversation. Um, we've got a good. game at the weekend. I mean, I've barely been thinking about that, to be honest. I'm about to go do a Leeds United preview, so that'll be fun. Yeah, I'm quite looking forward to it, actually. I've missed I've missed playing Leeds anyway, and it'll be good to, to see if we can rack up another six, or whether it'll be seven this time. Uh, well, I mean, I, I, know, I can't imagine, given <laughs> the fact that they've beaten City and drawn with Liverpool over the space of the last two weeks, it's going to be particularly easy. So if we get two, I'll be happy with that. I just hope they don't get more than that. Anyway, let's call it there. Pleasure as always. Yeah, man. Thanks very much for joining in. And all of you, thank you very much for listening. We hugely appreciate it. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let us know. Or please let your friends or family or your pet knows, God knows, by linking them to Spotify or iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or any single app you can think of. It's hugely relevant and it's hugely helpful. Any rating or subscription or review hugely helps us in many shapes and forms. In the meantime, we hope you all take care. It's been a rough week, so we hope you're all keeping well. All the best. We should be back after Leeds United on Sunday. Bye. Bye.